What's up, Spellsingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And I'm Corey Zanavagian. And this is Untap. Upkeep. Drink. Beer up. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Untap Upkeep Drink. Today, we are finally talking about Ikoria. It's coming a little late. I know you've been asking about it, but we're ready. We're ready to go. Yeah. Uh, we thought it would be pertinent to, you know, like, finally get through the Commander shit. Uh, turns out we already did an episode on Commander 2019, so we won't be doing that one again. We should be caught up and be, like, ready to talk about the actual topical things that are happening, and there's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, right now, it's all about Aquaria, and today we're going to be talking about uh, some of the spoilers, we're going to be talking about the mechanics and what is going on in the set. Um, we'll talk about a couple of the cards, just kind of the ones that stand out for us, rather than like diving into it as we have been in the past, kind of mixing things up just to try and see how things work. And to that effect, we've got the mechanics, because there's some cool new mechanics coming in. Uh, and one old mechanic that's coming back that we're super hyped on. Very true. Uh, we're going to talk about the set themes and kind of like a little bit of the story that's going on there, uh, the general hype, and just, like I said, right at the end, we'll just touch on a couple cards. It's the greatest um, hits. Before we do that. Yeah, I <laughs> think greatest hits. Just having everything delayed because of COVID-19, it just lets us do a deeper dive into these sets. So this is kind of just going to be a, a more broad episode, and then we're going to do some deeper dives into this set and the commander stuff. So stay tuned for that guys. Yeah. Uh, And before we get into all that, just want to remind you guys, uh, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, check out all the socials um, at untap upkeep drink or at UUD podcast. Uh, And last thing of course is we've got these three beers today. Um, I've had you guys, you know, drink a couple of the other ones that you haven't been, uh, I guess, subjected to in the past, and each of us has one for today. Uh, why don't we jump in? Corey, you're up first. So I'm rocking the Dallas Alice Belgian-style blonde ale from Level Crossing Brewing Company, which is just right here in Salt Lake. It's sitting at 6.2% alcohol and 24 IBUs. And right away, you can smell a lot of sweetness and a lot of funk, as you'd expect, because it's Belgian. I'm This is... Delicious. It tastes like a lager, but it, like a Belgian style lager. So it's it's got a lot of that funkiness that you'd expect, but it's really crisp and sweet. I really like it. All right, and Gideon, for you, we've got the Upslope Brewing Brown Ale. We're clocking in at six point seven percent ABV and forty five IBU. So we're climbing up that bitterness scale. And this one's uh, pretty dark. You hold it up in the light, and it comes out just dark reddish brown. First taste, <laughs> that's just malt. I'm, I'm a big <laughs> yeah. fan of that. The The aftertaste is pretty dry, kind of like you would expect from a brown, but that is just a, a malty, sweet sugar beer. Yeah, definitely knew that you would be a, a fan of that one for sure. Big fan. And last, certainly not least, we've got the Modern Times Orderville, which is their Hazy Mosaic IPA. So if there's two words that I want to see before... IPA. It's hazy and mosaic. So I'm pretty keen for this. Yeah, because uh, it's the type of hops, right? Yeah. 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 And they've got more than just the mosaic in there, but mosaic is going to be the the prevalent most, one. Yeah. On the nose, definitely like that tropical uh, hoppiness. Ooh, that has a lot of bitterness <laughs> to the back end. Yeah, it's pretty. 75 yeah, IBUs is not a lie. <laughs> it is strong. <laughs> well, Let's get into the, the main topic here. First, let's talk about the mechanics from Ikoria. Uh, there's so much going on in this set, but oh, kind of have the like four main mechanics. Corey, why don't you give us a start? So the first one is the big one, and that one is Mutate. And this might be one of the most confusing things Magic has ever done. So we're going to try yeah. to take it nice and slow and just figure it out together. But, yeah, so I kind of like made a simplified version of this one, yeah. which is if you know like EDH or you know uh, modern, you have the Bogles or the Voltron, and that's kind of what it is. But instead of using auras, you're using creatures to make the Voltron creature. 
Yeah, so how it actually reads is it's an ability or it's an alternate casting cost on a creature spell that reads, you may cast this spell for its mutate cost targeting a non-human creature you control. When you do, put this card above or below that creature. It mutates into whichever creature is on top with all of the abilities of the creatures beneath. So, like Drew was saying, it's kind of Voltron because you just get a stack. It's like a suited up creature. Only whatever creature is on top is the actual name and card of the creature it shares. Or it is the color, the CMC, everything on that creature. Power and toughness. Power and toughness. And then it has all the abilities and keywords of everything beneath it. So if a creature had flying and another creature had death touch on it, and the top creature was a 2-2 or something, then it'd be a 2-2 with flying and death touch. Yeah, there's there's a lot with it. And, uh, like, mutate is going to be a mechanic that, to me, is more parasitic than infect. Because you can't just have a single mutate creature to me. You have to have another one or, like, a, a deck that's built around it in order to really get those effects out of it. Just because... You want to be able to be as flexible as possible yeah. with the mutate. Well, uh, the way that I read it the first time going through it really quickly, it looked like an ability or an activated ability, but it's a casting cost. So you definitely have to have many of them in the deck because the only way you can flip them out is by casting them. That way, you, once they're out, you can't you can't use that from the yeah. card that's out. Yeah, it's, it seems like a, a tricky build around, but I think in limited environments especially, it, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. But it's it's kind of hard to tell, especially at this point since we haven't really played with it, how well it shakes out and how sort of viable it is or it's going to be in standard. But I think in limited, it's going to be a ton of fun. This is a mechanic that is built for limited. I don't really see this being a mechanic that's going to be super strong outside of the limited environment. Even though you can have like four rows of the most powerful ones, yeah. I just see that this is, and I'm I'm totally like ready to be wrong on this, but I just see that having just higher power level individual cards rather than trying to suit up one creature is going to just be a better environment in general for a deck. I think what we're gonna see is the lower cost mutate cards being impactful because the really high costed ones yeah. they're just too late to try you're never going to get there yeah you, yeah and, and very you, color intensive too and exactly and then you're putting all of this cost in you know quote unquote all in one basket you're putting all your eggs in one thing one creature yeah, yeah. exactly just shove them in there um yeah but those lower costed ones depending on how those shake out could be really cool yeah and i think that's actually something i'm going to talk about on the next episode when we're looking at more card specific stuff uh that one there's a lot of play value that i see in the design of the cards uh which i'm gonna like really try and hammer home for why i think uh mutate has potential to be good in other formats but why i think that it's going to just be a limited kind of thing yeah i think the Best build arounds you can make around mutate in like pioneer or standard would be very evasive or creatures with protection already, like hexproof or creatures indestructible. Or Literally like just that. bogles. Yeah, like bogles. I think will be really good, but just because, like we've talked about, investing all your eggs in one basket and then just getting blown out is it's just too sucks. It's it's too yeah. hard to build around that. Which is having big creatures. You need evasive good creatures. So I think I think yeah. we're gonna see a lot of that. Yeah, it's literally asking your opponents to get a tempo advantage on you because you waste all your turns. Right. Yeah. And to that effect, we should actually continue talking about mutate in general. So yeah. <laughs> when merging the creatures, uh, the creature on top, like I was saying, remains the same. So that also means that whatever auras, equipment, or counters that were put on it remain on that that creature. Right. Even if it like changes the the like the actual creature on top, and so whatever state it exists in, whether it was attacking, blocking, tapped, remains the same. Um, and so merging with a new creature on top actually gets around summoning sickness, which is something I think that's really really important for merge, yeah, or for, for mutate and merging stuff, because you can just have like a a one one that's been on the battlefield forever, and all of a sudden you turn it into like a six six, and that creature can still attack it. That's still the same creature in the eyes of the game and the game state. So as long as the, the merge creature was originally under its controller's control at the beginning of their turn, that creature's not going to have so many sickness if you merge something else into it. 
So mutate also has triggered abilities associated with it. So whenever whatever creature it is mutates, some effect happens. Um, so yeah, some of these are like when this creature mutates, draw a card, or whenever this creature mutates, destroy a target artifact or enchantment, or just things like yeah. that. Um, so the thing to note on those is that those are very specific to whenever this creature mutates. It doesn't cause uh, like mutate creatures or uh, whenever you activate the mutate ability to trigger enter the battlefield effects. Like yeah. that creature again, that's staying on the on the battlefield the entire time. There's no new ETB effect. Yeah, I was I was actually just reading rules about mutate all morning trying yeah. to figure out these weird corner cases because it's it doesn't actually enter as a permanent. It stays no. a spell and then it merges on to the permanent. So never it doesn't Correct. trigger ETBs or any weird thing like that. And so with greater power comes greater weakness in this sense. Like we're talking about, uh, you are putting all your eggs in one basket. So whenever, this isn't like bestow, where when that creature you know, gets destroyed or whatever, the bestowed uh, enchantment just becomes that enchantment creature. So all permanents that are associated together with the mutate, since they're all one permanent at that point in time, they move zones together. Whether that's the graveyard, exile, if they get bounced though, this is like where I think mutate has the most potential to me. Yeah. Is you can bounce it back to your hand and all of those mutates come back to your hand. Yeah, and there's a lot of weird things where if you blink it and it returns, they actually get separated and return as individual creatures. Yeah. And then there's weird things like persist and undying where the trigger actually looks at each creature on the mutate stack. They hit the graveyard and then they each come back separately with those triggers. And then there's, I was reading all about these cases, but like if you have a morph creature that you mutate onto, if the top card is face down, then the rest of the stack is, contri- is also- considered face down. Yeah. And then there's other weird cases where if you have a Gideon that becomes a creature that you mutate onto and then <laughs> it becomes not a creature anymore, the stack still stays on it, even though Gideon's not technically a creature. And so it's just, yeah, because the mutate only. Kids. Yeah, mutate only needs to target a creature. Yeah, it can stay on any permanent that's no longer a creature. Yeah, because it's already it's, yeah, if it's considered not. as that permanent. Yeah. It is already part of that permanent and never was existing as if it wasn't. Yeah, and then so, doesn't this yeah, sound so fun, is, guys? It sounds wild, <laughs> but I yeah, think mutate is insane. Uh, one thing we should note is that while the mutate triggers on the stack, if you're legal or if your target does not become legal, so if somebody removes it before the mutate happens. Then the whatever creature you're mutating just enters just as, as a, creature. a creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you no longer have a legal target, but it still acts as a spell that you're casting, so it can still be countered and shit like that, yeah. like normal. All right, so mutate is just an absolutely nuts ability. There's lots to talk about there, uh, and it makes sense that it was actually kind of spoiled as an ability in Unsanctioned, the most recent unset of sorts, uh, in the Surgeon General Commander, and we're not going to read that card. Because unsanctioned was not like yeah, I think it just was reads, a rough set. Whenever you mutate or do some other stuff, you just draw a card. But yeah. there weren't any mutate cards in that set, so people were like, "I don't know what this keyword, yeah, what is that, yeah, what this, this ability is, means." <laughs> yeah, uh, Gary, why don't you start us off on the next new? Uh, this one is controversial. Another <laughs> weird one. <laughs> yeah, so the next one we got is companion. Simplified, it's uh, your non-commander commander card. Uh, but the, yeah. the the actual kind of definition is that each of these companion cards come with their own stipulation on all the other cards in the deck. Yeah, it's a deck-building requirement in order to actually use these as your companion, yeah. which has its own rules. So... Notably, only your main board needs to be within those requirements. So if you have sideboard cards, uh, those can be different than whatever the requirements are on your companion card. Yeah, and with that, your companion still acts as a card in your sideboard. It's just at the beginning of the the match. You say, hey, this is my companion. My deck meets the requirements of it. And obviously, it's kind of hard to like fact check that in real life without looking through someone's entire deck. Um, so it's kind of one of those like, hey... You are a lying piece of shit. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of... I th- in tournaments, it's going to make more sense because you have to register what your deck right, is. Right, I was going to say in yeah. a tournament, it wouldn't matter, in right? Casual formats, is like, like, I don't know. You could... Could be lying. Be totally talking out your ass. <laughs> are yeah, all but, of your cards I mean, really even converted to mana cards? Yeah, <laughs> like you, you have to just like fact check them as the game progresses, you know, and like 
any any game state that resolves that's outside of their companions requirements is you know whatever but each of these companions is a legendary creature that is a two-colored hybrid cost creature um so they all color pairings are matched up um and once you cast them using their uh, companion ability there it uh has to be cast for like the normal timing of creature so if you've given your spells flash or something like that you can technically cast it otherwise that'd be cast during your main phase um and once they are cast it acts just like a normal card right so it can be countered uh it can be returned to your hand exiled and once it gets destroyed it's moved to the graveyard it's not moved like back to your side or something yeah once you cast it it is a, a card. card um so there's was immediately like some controversy surrounding uh companion because the first I think it was the first one spoiled, right? Lutri was the first one? Yeah. It was just the first time in the history of Magic and history of Commander that a card was insta-ban, like, within a couple hours of it being spoiled. Yeah, Sheldon had a big write-up, and he's like, hey, guys, we, we yeah, messed so, up. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Lutri and Spellchaser, uh, basically it's Dualcaster Mage. It's, it's literally the best copy of Dualcaster Mage ever. And it, yeah, it was just an extra card in your 100 card deck that was there was no downside to running. Yeah, the companion uh, requirement was that you needed to have each non land card in your deck had to be a different name. Which guess what? That is just the deck building requirement for commander. Yeah, I think personally, I think a lot of the companions are just way too hard to build around. I think yeah. in any other format, Lutri would be really hard because running one ofs kind of makes your deck a lot worse yeah. and. It, yeah, it but was, in like Commander and Brawl, like it was like instantly just like holy yeah, shit. Yeah, like in those formats, dumb. it's too good, and which why it was too banned. But in other formats, it's just I don't think it's good enough. But there's things like all of your things, all of your creatures have to be CMC three or greater, or everything has to be even CMC or odd CMC or, or two or less. Yeah, or two or less. there's one where you have to have twenty more cards. Than the, than the starting deck. So, yeah. so they're, on my they're like list really here. weird <laughs> hoops to jump through in order to get access to an extra creature. But just yeah, uh, sure. for for safety's sake, we're gonna read off the other parts of this companion. The companion ability it has no effect if it's in your starting deck, so it only works if it's in your sideboard. And yeah. it can yeah, be used in creature. commander, but it does not count towards your 100 card restriction. So yeah, and it follows the exact same rules as in it. Yeah. Um, so the next mechanic isn't so much like a specific mechanic per se, as it's kind of changing the rules of magic a bit. Yeah, it's not a new keyword. It's just revamping how all your keywords work. No, not all. Like they, they're very specific in what ones they chose. Not some yeah. of the best ones. Yeah, I think that they picked eight keywords and decided to make counters for those keywords that can just go on any creature. Um, so these we're just talking about the evergreen keyword counters. So much like plus one plus one counters, they grant a permanent buff to a creature for as long as the counter remains on that creature. I really like the side note: the card that grants all your menace, like extra menace, <laughs> where yeah. they have to be blocked. By yeah, three dude, that or more. one's dope. <laughs> like yeah, that one's sick. <laughs> all right, let me get back to this stuff. So when you have the keyword counters, there's not like a stacking effect, right? So if you give something flying that already has flying, can't be double. It just fly. has flying. Yeah, it's not like can only block the creatures with flying and flying. Double flying. Yeah. Um, so it does grant the specific keywords: lifelink, death touch, first strike, menace, flying, hexproof, reach, trample, or vigilance. Uh, and you said well, there's the no stacking of. Ones. I mean, come on. So <laughs> while you can't stack like flying and flying, you can definitely stack flying with any and all of the other ones. Right. So. They just exist, and so uh, it's interesting that something like proliferate doesn't really work for these. But if you have an effect that moves counters around, which there are several of those in the game, you know, you can do that, and that's something that is a, a strategy that you can utilize to your advantage to give things that normally wouldn't have those keyword abilities because maybe be a little too good. All right, so this last keyword we're going to talk about, this last mechanic, is not new. But uh, I feel like Watsi really gave us a, a hefty push <laughs> on yeah. this last one here, which I think we're all excited about, especially as commander players. Yeah, so we've got cycling. Ooh. Corey, I think you and I have had our fair share of discussions on these, so you go ahead. Yeah, I think cycling, it's been around forever, and I think 
I don't, I've never met anybody that hates it. Like everyone just loves cycling. Cause it's, it just, it's so, well, yeah, it, just, it takes every, every card that you have and says, you can also draw a card off this. Yeah. So Do you remember all those times you played and didn't cast this card. Now you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. So cycling is just an ability where you pay mana cost. It's usually fairly low and you discard that card and you draw another card. So like we just said, it makes cards a lot more versatile. So if this card that you have in your hand is not very good right now, you can just pitch it and draw another card and hopefully you get some answers. There's also a special version of this, which is land cycling. Uh, so you discard this card to go fetch for a specific land type. And that'll be like plane cycling or forest cycling, whatever. Or uh, which is also very basic land. Yeah, which is just basic land cycling. Yeah. Um, so it's super, super, super powerful. Usually in a set with cycling, it doesn't it's not doesn't get the build around like usually cards that have discard matters or draw card matters have cycling tacked on but this says there's a lot of cycling matters which yeah. i think makes it a more robust mechanic even though it was already really robust yeah for sure and what's awesome about cycling i think it's my favorite part about cycling is that it is an activated ability from your hand that acts at instant speed yeah so drawing card in on speed. that bitch <laughs> yeah so one of the most powerful things you can do in the game magic is draw a card. And so if you can cycle at instant speed for two generic to draw a card, I think a lot of us are pretty keen to just look at that effect on your card to just say, this is a colorless spell that you pay two mana and draw a card. Yeah. That's more difficult to interact with than having that be a colorless spell for two mana that you draw a card, right? Like having it as an activated ability is just... Yeah, it's so hard to interact with. You need a stifle or something like that. And one of the stifling effects is the stifle bird, which <laughs> yeah, is which has cycling. Like, yeah, which is cycling. You cycle it to get the the counter, which I absolutely love. Um, so obviously, I'm hyped on cycling. Uh, I love cycling. I think it's one of the, the most fun mechanics. It's just been difficult to build around. Yeah, I think cycling also helps out a lot of colors that don't have access to just raw card draw like that. And For sure. sometimes they do cost way more than just a, a brainstorm or anything like that. But it's like mono green just card draw it can't be overstated now or mono white you know yeah you have an effect that destroys exile exiles enchantments and artifacts something like that you throw cycling attached to that and all of a sudden it's like hey sometimes i don't need to do that very specific thing yeah. sometimes i just want an extra card i think i think that's awesome but i think with the creature types especially it was just like a shit show oh it's, yeah you're trying to like figure out what the fuck like, is going on and then you finally see like the legendary creature and it's just like but they're like yeah. at nightmare elemental, like just yeah. the most random. Well, that's the thing is that they have off. like the four colors, I think, or four types. You have cats, no five. Cats, nightmare, beast, elemental, and there's one more. But each like uh, three color pair has their oh dinosaur has yeah. their uh, like focus, and so the Mardu one is cats, right? Like if you look at the story for it, uh, they basically just have like this plateau. Or the the planes that the cats run around on, and that's like they're the well, I guess to talk in terms of the set, the apex predators of that set or of that area, because there is the apex predator of each region. By the way, and really those fucking are good. Like the big bets. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're okay. So if we're gonna talk about all that shit, let's talk about the general themes of the set. Uh, we've got these crazy monster mutation mashups. Um, cycling, we've got the counters, but there also is super the unique humans. Got the humans on the on the plane that are they're trying to deal with all of this crazy shit that's plane. going they on. Need to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have this choice, and they decided to stay. <laughs> no, I mean it, it's it's rough to not be a planeswalker on on this plane. <laughs> Seriously, just get Vivian to, to help you out. <laughs> I mean, this is where Vivian shows up, right? So uh, I think in general, we are seeing a lot of enemy color pairs in this set. Yeah, that's the. I think that's the actual focus on it. Yeah. Uh, the the tricolored stuff is just kind of an addition to that. But there's like the, the main thing, I think, is the enemy colored pairs. It makes it a little bit easier to kind of know what your color pairs are going to do. Orzov, humans, they're going to have some grave hate. They're going to have the premium removal and the low CMC reanimation. Uh, Boros, yeah. we've got life gain, combat, and cycling. Uh, is it cycling, spell slinger, duh, draw and discard? Simic, yeah. So is it is it and Boros kind of work together in the Jeskai side of things? Right, right. And that's where you see if you like combine the the things where the the overlap is for the for the cons wedges, and that's where that overlap is. So 
Yeah. Uh, Simic, we've got the ramp, but they also have a non-humans kind of sub-theme that matters, which also ties into the fact that they have the big creatures matters, uh, creatures like Power 4 Grade or something like that. Which uh, I like because then, they were the big uh, color pair for like Evolve and like all these biomechanics and shit. So, of course, they should get Mutate too. Yeah. Uh, and then Golgari is self-mill and then reanimate, regrowth kind of stuff, um, which, again, that'll tie into the Orzhov stuff, talking about reanimation uh, to get the probs on. And so yeah, it sounds like those are kind of like the the big five that's going on there. But uh, we also just have like a, a summary breakdown of the, the set as a whole. Yeah, I think this is kind of like the past Ravnica sets where you you went into it choosing your guild. I think you kind of choose your wedge and sort of slot in all these different enemy color pairs to help you work around with that because. Instead of just choosing it one enemy color pair, you really it it behooves you a lot to double up and just work with a three color pair. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And with a uh, with this versus like cons block, when you talk about the wedges, so cons basically you had a color, and then uh, in that wedge you had its ally color and its enemy color. Whereas this one uh, and the ally color that you have also shares that enemy color. Um, whereas this one, you have your enemy color and it's two, sorry, you have your, your color and it's two enemy colors that you're working with. If that makes sense. Like you, you have your focus a little bit differently. Um, Obzon, I think was focused primarily in white, whereas Obzon in this one is focused primarily in black. Yeah. So I think that's kind of their way to mix up these mechanics, even though everyone knows what Golgari and Orzov does. Like, I think that's just an interesting way to shake it up and, it doesn't mess with standard or any other format as much as... And it doesn't like hurt the color pie, right? Yeah, which some of us do want that, but <laughs> the... I don't mean give red enchantment rule, but maybe <laughs> you should do you, that. I thought you were harkening back. <laughs> In yeah, summary, I've never let it go. My TED talk. But yeah. I think those are... It's kind of like you build off I think that's of funny, though. the mechanics that people know from those colors and you just make them work in new interesting ways. I think a good example of this is the with Ether Revolt and oh, yeah. uh, what, what's the other one? Kaladesh. Kaladesh. Like just energy counters. Like energy counters made those colors work in different ways. But with yeah, the but brand they were also mechanic, fucking broken by the way. I mean <laughs> in, in their set. Yeah. But they when you look at it as a everything. whole yeah. True, very true. Like energy, but I do think energy it, is not very good anymore, sadly. No, it's it's, it's too too parasitic of a mechanic, just like mutate is going to be. But yeah, I think it's funny. Of course, you know, you bring up red needing enchantment removal, and like the literal example I gave with cycling was white needing the card draw. I mean, <laughs> outside of its like hard yeah, enchantment. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a really good way to do it because it doesn't break the color pie, and it, it just it helps open up. It a lot more and like cycling is a super good mechanic but it doesn't break anything like it's you can't mess with it like that much it's just yeah. discarding so before, and drawing a card yeah so before we get back into the beers which I, I'm pretty keen to talk about uh, Corey can you just give us the like set summary real quick yeah so our summary we have is Orzov humans but there's human support sprinkled in all the colors so it's kind of just choose which humans you got and play the best Makes ones. Makes sense, yep. Yeah. And then we've got Boros, which is aggro, as you'd expect, with some cycling. And then is it spell cycling, as you'd expect, with some cycling. So those two work really well together. Simic is ramp big dudes. Basic. Basic. Golgari is just graveyard stuff. Mutate is everywhere, as you'd expect, but it's particularly strong in Sultai. And then on the same, or on the opposite, cycling is primarily in Jeskai. So those are kind of... Yeah your two big themes besides human, which is the yeah. biggest theme versus the monsters, which is the other big theme. So, yeah. And we could also include that. There's also like a, a sub theme in uh teamer for spell slinging. It's not really as strong as it is in just blue, red and is it colors. It's just like green is thrown in there as a, not, not even a base. It's just kind of like the additional support so that we have creatures to, also, you know, hold the ground down. All right, y'all, you ready to taste these beers again? Them beers. Oh, there, you can say it better than, oh, there it is. Corey, stealing your line. <laughs> Them beers. Mr. Steal your line. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so, first up, we have, actually, yeah, I think you should go first, because I think that this beer was more you than any beer that I've actually gotten for you. Um, 
I mean, maybe you disagree with that? It, it is sweet, which I do love. It's very, very malty. But after sipping on it for what we got 45 minutes on the clock, the edit's going to be wrong. It's always wrong. I do this to myself all the time. Yeah. You always <laughs> been recording yeah. for 45 minutes or so. Uh, it's very, very nutty now. It's very like dry and uh, uh, paper like. The malt has worn off on me a little bit, but it is very sweet. And so uh, it's definitely, I could smash a few of these in a day. It almost does to my mouth what salty foods do. You know what I mean? It makes me more thirsty and it never quite quenches that thirst. However, the taste is great. Very malty, very nutty. Uh, I- I'm a fan, but I would have to clear it with a with a sour or something like that all right and i asked you to kind of like get your thoughts together to compare it to the uh maduro from cigar city what are your thoughts on that comparison night and day it was way sweeter far less dry and wait which one is way sweeter sorry the the upslope brown ale was much sweeter than the cigar city I thought the Maduro was like wicked, wicked dry and very, very nutty and papery, which had an interesting taste to it, but it it lacked like two of my favorite things. Like there's no acidity in these types of beers and it wasn't super, super sweet. Like it was just kind of malty. Uh, but this one has a lot of that sugar content comparatively. I think I would prefer the Upslope Brown Ale. However, I would say it's far less complex. Yeah, it's very simple. It is a roasty, yeah. malty beer, Sugary like the, beer. Like, Corey, what was your uh, what, what was your thoughts on these? So the upslope, um, I said it was very like Gary. And you said it was super malty, yeah. And especially first the, both taste. the the malt sweetness and a lot of the malt bitterness that you'd expect. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't find it as sweet. I I found it super smooth and actually yeah. got a lot of alcohol notes. And that, that was kind of a turnoff for me. but it was, Yeah, it's like 6.7%. It's, yeah. it's pretty pretty heavy, which was surprising to me. Yeah, because we've had a lot of other dark beers that had a lot less or a lot more alcohol with a lot less alcohol notes. So yeah. that, that might have just been me. If you love malts, definitely check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the reason why I wanted Gary to have that one. Uh, Corey had one for you as well. Uh, I wanted you to compare it to the Albion that we had last episode. So first, give us the full breakdown. How is the Dallas Alice? So this is the Dallas Alice Belgian-style blonde ale from Level Crossing. 6.2%. I think it was like 24 IBUs. It is smooth as hell. It's, it drinks like a lager. It looks like a lager, but it's a blonde ale, so that's about what you expect. Just light, crisp, refreshing. It's super sweet, but not too yeah, it's, sweet. it's not like multi-sweet like the brown ale, but... For a Belgian style, it's a lot less funky than I thought it was going to be, because the Albion was hella funky, <laughs> and you you did get a lot of those fruity esters and stuff as you'd expect from a Belgian. But this one, it's I think it's I wouldn't say it's less complex, but it's just a more safe beer, and it's it's not basic flavors, but it's kind of the flavors that you'd expect because I was expecting crazy funk. Whenever I see Belgian, I'm just like, this is going to be weird. This is going to be hard hard to drink. To me, the yeah. banana esters it's like the, came the out super strong. Yeah, kind really? of. But it was like the banana came out super strong on the Dallas House and just turned me off immediately. Uh, like It was yeasty, funky, banana-y, uh, super smooth, super sweet. Not exactly alcoholic, but it certainly had that kind of like similar feel as what the brown ale did. Where it had that kind of like lingering alcoholic taste, kind of vapor just chilling there. But yeah, very, very different uh, tastes across the board from us. Yeah, that's pretty crazy because, yeah, I was expecting funk and yeasty, fruity essence stuff. For sure. But the beer that I did not expect to give me what it did is Drew's Hazy. <laughs> yeah. So this is the Modern Times Orderville, uh, and this is their Hazy Mosaic IPA. And goddamn, this one has this one was a trip. <laughs> Seventy-five IBUs, and you taste it. Seven point two percent ABV. Uh, all of these above like six two, I think, on the alcohol scale. So mm. none of us are getting off light today. Oh, we're getting no. crunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, I've just been sipping on it. It's 
it's grown on me a lot. Like that first taste, the just the bitterness was super, super strong and that kind of like makes you reel back a little bit. <laughs> but the more you kind of just relax and sip on it, the the easier it gets to drink. Uh, it is a hazy where the fruit characteristics of the hops come through a lot. It's tropical, um, kind of has that mango-y, uh, pineapple-y kind of taste to it. It's super, super crisp and refreshing, which is exactly what you want out of an IPA. Like this is a, this is a solid summer beer, but watch out because you're going to burn your taste buds on that first taste. Dude, the burn, even though like you don't really mean it literally, is exactly yeah. what I wrote in my notes. I said it had like the characteristics of mint or cinnamon without those flavors. Like it has like an aerosolized feel on your tongue because it's so fucking hoppy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like it's like gin. It's like really, really botanical. But it's instead of tasting juniper, yeah. you taste fucking pine yeah well, i don't think it's pine for me but it's like drew like you said hops. just right away just hits you in the face with hops <laughs> and then it actually i didn't get a lot of citrus notes but the more i drank it it kind of tastes like like old orange juice <laughs> with a lot of hot bitterness and so i think that was just the subdued just really old pulpy notes. orange juice yeah it's kind of like this is weird to say but if you ever had a brass monkey <laughs> which is malt liquor <laughs> and orange juice. The acidity of the orange juice just counteracts all the bitterness of the malt liquor, and that's kind of what was happening, but it it was not strong enough to counter the hop bitterness in this because it is so strong. We need to buy yeah. six or of these for Sean because this is like... Oh, yeah. Sean yeah. would love this beer. Yeah. If you're a hoppy yeah, type of guy, this is like the summer beer because if those hops are refreshing to you, it really is just like a wash of hop. Yeah, it's it's good stuff, but it definitely requires a certain palate. Um, yeah, it is interesting though over the years how I've kind of been drawn more and more to hazy IPAs and stuff like this. Too. Yeah, it's because they're good, man. Uh, let's <laughs> stop talking about the random <laughs> shit. Let's get back into Acoria here. Uh, let's talk about the hype around Acoria. Obviously, there was a lot more buildup for this one. I think than there has been for a while. We like the most recent kind of offshoot set was unsanctioned, right? So it wasn't like there was a full other set in between this and the last set to really drag people's attention away from it. Plus there was like all of the secret layer shit, which to me, I still am very frustrated with. Yeah. Um, but that's actually another episode that we'll talk about in the future. Um, Why we hate but, secret layer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's talk about just the, the general well, hype. This is Gary, the, and you're the, kind of one of the hype men here. Hype, hype. So because this set was new, I think a lot of people are excited about it. They just didn't know what was even going to happen. Yeah, I think the announcement for a brand new plane and like sandwiched in between Zendikar and Theros, I think everyone's like, oh, this is going to be sweet. And then they announced that Commander's coming out at the same time. So it was just like, oh, it's going to be super uh, dope. Yeah. It's going and down. There's that. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be super sweet. And then I think we all kind of... I, w- I, w- I guess me personally, the the hype was immediately killed when all the COVID stuff started happening. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I was like, this set seems cool. I won't be able to play it for two more months or whatever. So I just, I yeah. kind of stopped caring. Yeah, I think that, well, you're definitely not alone on that that front. Like, yes, I'm, I'm hyped on it, but it, it, it is like, the reason why I'm hyped on sets is because I get to play with those cards yeah. with my friends. And with all the, the COVID shit, like it is difficult to do that. Um, well, we talk about the mechanics and the themes and stuff. Let's talk about some actual cards just real quick here. Uh, do you guys want to kind of alternate on these, or do you want to just go through our lists? Uh, I mean, we can alternate. Why not? Yeah, we can. So the Mythic Rare that I chose, uh, Heavy Black, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, Nethroi Apex of Death. Two white. Oh, you're going to talk about the Apex too? We literally have an entire episode devoted to them. I mean, we'll, yeah, we're definitely getting into all these cards much more. But when we were putting together a top five, I had a real hard time not having this guy on my list at, at any point. He's a 5 5 legendary creature, Cat Nightmare Beast. With Mutate for four, a hybrid green or white mana, and two black mana. So total CMC of seven in his Mutate cost. Death Touch, Lifelink, and whenever this creature mutates, return any number of target creature cards with total power, 10 or less, from your graveyard to the battlefield. I feel like 
uh, for me to talk about cards and not have this on there would be a sin against my own personal identity. You know what I mean? <laughs> Too fucking good. Yeah, it is pretty Everything expensive. I like. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else you got on your list, game? Okay, if we're just going to go through my list here, uh, another one that I think is going to be, uh, especially because it's an uncommon, it's going to be a huge standard and or limited card. It's Boon of the Wish Giver. Four blue blue for a sorcery. Draw four cards. But it has cycling for one generic. So this is one of those big blue, not finisher cards, but just big hitter cards. I, I don't think we're going to see uh, very many blue decks without these in it. So the next one I've got is a rare. It's called Song of Creation. It's one and teamer. For an enchantment, ooh, man, ooh, buddy, you can play an additional land on each of your turns. That's all I need. That's all I need. However, it says, whenever you cast a spell, draw two cards, not just one, two, and at the beginning of your end step, discard your hand. Uh, really fucking good, guys. Oh, yeah. All right, the last card I've got on here that I'm going to talk about as one of my real exciting cards is a common called Wilt. It's one in a green for an instant destroy target artifact or enchantment. So it's another disenchant, but it's also got cycling for two generic. Uh, I think like we were saying at the beginning of this episode, cycling cannot be overlooked right now. It's always been good. And now we have kind of that critical mass where people can do some really fucking good things <laughs> with their builds. My last card on this list is not necessarily a super excited, uh, this thing's crazy good, whatever card. It's just one I wanted to talk about in the episode, partly because it's almost got my name, which is great, <laughs> but also just because, like on our outline, I just wrote, also, what the fuck is this? Uh, it's Yorion Sky Nomad, three and two hybrid uh, Azorius mana. It's a four or five legendary creature bird serpent with companion. But its companion text reads, your starting deck contains at least 20 cards more than the minimum deck size. Why the fuck are we printing this card? <laughs> it's got flying, and when Yorion enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-land permanents you own or control. Return those cards to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. So it's a big, massive blink effect for your whole permanent board, which is cool. But to me, it was kind of the the climax of w the restrictions we're putting on ourselves for these fucking companion cards. Uh, in Commander, it's crazy. In uh, Commander, it's unplayable. Yeah. Oh, you just can't use it. It's yeah, just against this one's the rules. Not legal. Well, that's good. But also, just in in standard, in modern, in all these like really highly tuned formats, you just fuck your math. Like I just don't ever see this being worth it. I don't know why this is the, this is the counter mill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. The thing is though, is that it's good on its own without the companion effect. Yeah. If you just put it in your main like board, full, full board flicker. Yeah. That's very, very good. True. And, yeah. and the fact that you can do that and just have it in your main board is certainly nice. I was trying to find stuff that, you could either use this deck in or just sort of build around it. And there was basically nothing. Like nobody <laughs> runs 80 card decks, but I did find no. there was a guy a couple years ago who ran, he ran a 64 card four color standard deck and he got second place in a championship. So I think, I don't know if this is going to be viable, but I think you're definitely going to get some weird builds. Oh yeah. <laughs> people are going to try this. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. So cool. All right. What you got homie? So the first card I've got is the Ozolith, which is a one-mana yes. legendary artifact. Whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters on the Ozolith. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if the Ozolith has counters on it, you may move all counters from the Ozolith onto target creature. So what it's, the it's, fucking so, fuck, it's like a, bro? A, a little bank for all your it's counters. It's a storage, it, yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't care about like plus one, plus one counters specifically. It's everything. And it's so only good. one mana. <laughs> yes. It's that's, so that's good. Like, you literally could just stop at one mana legendary artifact. And I was like, yes, I'm <laughs> on board. I don't even care what the rest of it is. The only downside is that it's two target creatures. You can only do it to one creature. You can't distribute across multiples, but it's still so freaking good, dude. Yeah, I think this card is just absolutely insane. I think it's going to see a lot of play. 
even if you don't build around it, just a one mana artifact that can help yeah. build your board back up, I think is yeah. A turn be, turn one play, it can't be overstated. Like, there's a lot of turn one plays that are so much worse than this. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. really, really glad that this next card is on your list because I looked at it and got excited and then went, eh, maybe I'm not good enough at this game to really know what the fuck's going on. So to see that you like oh, yeah. it also reaffirms my beliefs. Yeah, so my next one is Bonders Enclave. So it's a land, a rare land, that taps for a colorless, but you can pay three and tap it and draw a card. Activate this ability only if you control a creature with power four or greater. So I think this is just really good card draw in limited when you're just running big creatures. But this also helps out green and red decks, mono green decks, True. mono red decks. Like it just helps them progress the game a lot because that the most of the time that ability is only going to affect those kinds of decks, just big stompy decks. And so, yeah, and so big I think, red, big green, big white. Yeah. Like, so my next one is Dranith Magistrate. One in a white. I love and I hate this card. This card is a douchebag of a card. <laughs> so it's a 1-3 creature human wizard. Your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. Well, fuck this fuck. card. Yeah. But at the same time, this card's so good. So right away, this card shuts down commanders. You cannot cast your commander anymore. And oh. then in standard, you cannot escape anymore. So those are yeah. the two big things where this card's going to see play. And then... Yeah, it's might great see, hate boner. Like, yeah, it's a different kind it, of hate there, But it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> no more change. When I saw this know. card, I was just like, holy shit, you can j- just print a card that just says you're not allowed to cast your commander? Yeah. <laughs> what? For, For two, two mana? mana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's a 1-3? Yeah. Yeah. That's annoying. Seriously. Can't shock it. No, and I think like it's only your opponents. Like it doesn't even affect you. Like the thing yeah. with a lot of cards like these that restrict stuff like this, like Gaddic Teague, it affects everybody. So you have to build around it. Right. This is just yeah. The fact that wins. it's not symmetrical. Yeah. Okay. My next one is Unpredictable Cyclone. It's three <laughs> red red for an enchantment. If a cycling ability of another non-land card would cause you to draw a card, instead exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a card that shares a card type with the cycled card. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then put the exiled cards that weren't cast this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. And it has cycling for two. Yeah, I love that it also has cycling itself. Yeah, so well, yeah, you, you might have realistically, more than one. You don't, yeah, realistically, <laughs> you need a couple of them in the deck. Like probably two, maybe three. And so if you get that extra one, then you get to do the thing. Yeah, you get to cycle it and probably get a god card or something because it's an enchantment. So you get a super yeah. good enchantment. And I yeah, that's that's definitely where I saw playing that was to lean into the gods. Maybe that's just because I like enchantments and I was like, how do I break this card? Yeah, and I mean, standard. Uh, immediately, gods. I went to like, how can I cycle some stupid creature and get an Ulamog? Out right. free? <laughs> <laughs> Easy. You only have Ulamogs and like low CMC exactly, cycle creatures. Yeah. And so that that's immediately what I thought of. I don't know if that's ever going to work, but I just think this is a really cool build around card because cycling, like we said, is stupid good. So just adding a weirder draw effect, or I guess yeah. it's a cheat effect. So my next one is Footfall Crater. So it's an enchantment for just a single red mana, and it's an aura, but it has enchant land. Enchanted land has tap, target creature gains trample and haste until end of turn, and has cycling one. Cycling for one. Cycling for one. <laughs> Already is so fucking good. Uh, this is another one that you you and I talked about where it's just like, this card is just absolute. Because I think you texted me and just like, is this, what, what was it? It's just like, is this card as I think, good as I think it was? And I was like, I think it's probably better. Like you just run this in every red deck. Yeah, like this, it's like, it doesn't really help you, but it just gives haste for nothing. Yeah, like because there are effects like this on another land. But you have to tap that land and another land, right, to get that effect. Yeah, a lot and of so them. So this are, effectively you gives you that land, land back. Yeah, and the red, and then there's like Hall of the Bandit Lord, where you tap it and pay three life, and something gets haste. But this yeah. is just an enchantment on the land, so it's yeah, like this is such a good turn one. Yeah, in every single format. Yeah, I think Gary, I don't know why you're so quiet on this one. Like this is a bro, banger this card's card. a banger. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, a card very similar to this one is the Crashing Drawbridge from Eldraine. Where it's like a the two mana zero four wall that you can just tap it and give your creatures haste. Oh, I think yeah, that's fair. The the bastion, yeah, or yeah, whatever that card was. But I think I think this card is just a ton of fun <laughs> for sure. You know, 
I brought a list together, and then I let you guys kind of determine what was going to make the cut. So first one we have is Migration Path. So for three ingredients, sorcery, search your library for up to two basic land cards, put one in battle tap, then shuffle your library. We have a card already that does this. You put it in every green deck. It's fantastic. It's called Explosive Vegetation. Then they also threw on Cycling Very good. for two generic. Wait. Why? We, we didn't need a better Explosive Vegetation. But then yeah, they we just... Did. I don't want to play explosive vegetation on turn nine, ten. I want to cycle it and get something. <laughs> yeah, better. like it's it's ridiculous, honestly. Like we we didn't need a better explosive vegetation, but we got one. Uh, next one, thanks. Next one we got uh, is I think this this is like one of the cards that I'm most hyped about. This I think is my most hype uncommon. Ominous seas for one in the blue. It's an enchantment. Whenever you draw a card, put a four shadow counter on ominous seas. Uh, I know we've talked about it before, but I have like four decks that are dedicated to just drawing cards, whether it be Enchantress or just actual draw card deck. Uh, it also has remove eight four shadow counters from Omniseas, create an eight eight blue Kraken creature token, and just to fucking top it off, cherry on top. Once again, we've got <laughs> cycling for two. So yeah. this card has everything I want: low converted mana cost. We're drawing cards, we're putting counters on it, and we're making a big giant thing. But wait. We're not just making a big giant thing. This thing does not turn into right. an eight eight octopus. It poops out and you can do it octopus again and could do it yeah. again. <laughs> Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the crazy thing. It doesn't sacrifice yeah. itself. Like usually with these things you sacrifice it and then you do yeah, the Yeah, and this just that's what really going. actually makes this card better than all of the other like versions that are similar to this, is that you usually have to sacrifice that thing in order for it to become that, or it itself becomes that and becomes weak to it. This is just... I feel like this should have been a legendary enchantment. <laughs> like, almost, yeah. Like, it, it does have that, like, that potential, that power level. Um, but the, yeah, the octopus... Yeah, like, oh, it'll take eight turns. But no, it'll take you, like, yeah, three. Yeah, but the Kraken that it, that it ships out a bunch. is not... There's no trample or anything like that. It's just an 8-8 Kraken, right? So next one we have is of one mind. So two and a blue. We've got a sorcery. This spell costs two less to cast. You control a human creature and a non-human creature. Draw two cards. I don't know if there's going to be a time when you ever cast this for three mana. This is one mana. Draw yes, two cards. Seriously, that's almost ancestral recall yeah. level. It's a sorcery, not an instant. <gasps> oh my god! But <laughs> this card is just very, 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 very good. I think. Uh, I think I just put it in like basically every single deck that I care about. Yeah, I think a lot of these cards, the downside is the build around, but this is like. There's so many incidental no humans. Like these and are, so many cards that are. Humans are so. Yeah. Like yeah. Cards that are just non humans. They're yeah. so common. So, like. Yeah. I think that you're able to just slot it in, in a shitload of decks and just, like, get get the value. And if you have to pay three mana to draw two cards in most formats, you'll, you'll do that if you have to. I mean, yeah, that's better than cycling. Usually it's two yeah. for one, but this is three for two. Uh, next one we have. Sorry, I have to open these because I don't know what I've deleted. Uh, well, you left a banger on. I like it. <laughs> so the next one we have is Gigantha, the Wellspring. I also have a companion on my my list here. So for four and hybrid gruel, the legendary creature, elemental elf. This is the one that Corey and I like spent the most amount of time talking about because it is absolutely busted. So the companion restriction is no card in your starting deck has more than one of the same mana symbol and its mana cost. This not is a downside. This just basically says that you're not, you know, like a heavy <laughs> green or red or whatever deck. Like you're just gonna put it in a yeah. five color deck anyways. Uh and yeah, I had to read this like five true. times. I'm like, yeah. wait, what is the downside? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh and so it also has activated ability. Tap, add, Wooberg. This mana can't Ooh. be spent to Woo-ba. pay generic mana cost. Again, not a looking. downside. It's just a five five creature in addition oh, yeah, to everything here. But I look at this, and every single time I read it, I'm just like, this card is good. I read it again. This card is really good. Text Corey, is this card as broken as I think it is? Corey's immediate response is just like, yeah. no, probably more. And I was like, ah, fuck. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, think of any five-color deck. Okay. you This card this card goes in. Like, it just does. I'm not I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah, yeah, I know it goes in there. <laughs> like, even if you don't have it as a companion, it just still goes in the deck. So the last one I'm gonna gonna talk about here is Heartless Act. So it's one in a black for an instant. Choose one. Destroy target creature with no counters on it, or remove up to three counters from target creature. So modular cards are really good. Uh, the amount of time this is just gonna be one in a black for destroy target creature is gonna be massive. I think that this card 
is I mean, it definitely is the fatal push of the set, but it's no it's not it's not fatal push, obviously. But I think that it is it has the potential to be the kind of like boogeyman removal of this standard environment. Do you think it's more impactful than dire tactics, which you also had on your list? Uh, yes, I think so. Just because dire tactics, you do need to be in Orzov. You do have to have the white attached to it. Whereas this one, you can run anything that is X black. That's true. Um, dire tactics, since you brought that one up, is just yeah. Orzov mana. So a white and a black. Exile target creature. If you don't control a human, use life equal to that creature's toughness. It is an instant. This card is insane on its own, right? It is insanely good, but so you good. do need to be running both white and black or have some way to produce yeah. the other color that you're not in, whereas the other one, it's a generic and black in order to cast that. Yeah. It's just black. Yeah. I guess I just looked at it as an exile from keeping those For sure. like random Yeah, like there's, there's a lot of reasons why the exile is, is better, but I think that the fact that you can just be running this in, in like, it's yeah, any color. Like, run, yeah. You can run both of these in the same deck, great, but you can also just run uh, the first in any X, X block deck. Like, Golgari loves it. Orzhov loves it. Demir loves it. Like, Rakdos lo- Like, Mono Black absolutely loves it. Like, every, every deck loves that one. <laughs> I'm splashing black because yeah. I got yeah. it in my pool. I think Heartless Act, it actually gets better when it's played outside of the set. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's still really good in Akoria, but it gets even better when you don't have a lot of counters running around because Akoria, there's a shitload of counters. Yeah, like, imagine this just in a, in a random commander deck. True. This is just destroy target color. Yeah, most of the time there's yeah. no counters on anything. Like, yeah. Unless a deck is specifically running plus one plus one counters, it's not running counters. Two mana yeah. removal. Instant and, speed. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah. I mean Dark Tactics is, is the same. Two mana removal, instant speed. It's exile, it's better. It's yeah, it's like the reverse yeah, swords. But you know, like it, it does have that that downside of it does need two colors. Um Yeah. There's a lot of oh, there's a lot of lot of good good stuff in this set, so we do have to dedicate an entire episode to talking more about just cards and more of the the goodies. So I want to kind of just drop this down. Uh, what do you guys think the overall power level of this set is? I love to talk about power level and compare it because there is power creep. Um, we always talk about power creep because it is so very real. How does this set compare to previous sets? Obviously, we don't have an Oko. Um, we do have something kind of similar. Uh, but we don't have Oko, which is great. This one feels really hard to determine. Like, I feel like it could swing either way. I think creature-to-creature-wise, the power level is really high, but I think from a, a view of the set as a whole, it's kind of on the lower side because it is kind of just make a big creature and swing out. So it's subject to easy removal, and just it's really easy to get blown out. Rem, you're looking at just mutate. Right, like, I think that this... The set has potential because of cycling and because of humans, right? The human synergy. I mean, humans are literally every set, every every single time. Humans are just like the one of the most powerful tribes, not the most powerful tribe in Magic, and we yeah, have that I synergy there. I think the different aspects are good, but I think just overall, I don't know how the set is going to play. I think yeah, there's I so many cards that it's, it's, that it's dedicated to mutate, so you can't not like think of it as like the main thing of the set. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to not play into Mutate. I think I think Mutate's a fun, cool mechanic. I just don't know how well it's going to work. Like, the individual cards, like the mythic creatures and stuff like that, the power level is really high because they're just nets. Yeah. But I think just overall, it's not as high. It's not as synergistic. Overall, this has a very strong draft environment because I think the removal is is there, and I think that it's fair. And I think that they kind of toned Maybe down I don't like the removal it. a little bit because <laughs> of the investment on mutate, right? Because like investing yeah. a lot into mutate you and then just getting exactly getting that blowout effect is just like it's it's going to be way more feel bad in this set than it is in any other set that yeah. we've had in a long time. Yeah, I think they did a really good job with having sort of themed uh, removal. So yeah, the like the humans deck the is the one that goes wide. Yeah, and they have removal which either hits like. Things with high power or toughness. Or non-human or, stuff. Or non-human stuff. And then a lot of the other color or other theme removal is um, like fighting and that kind of removal. Yeah, where you're true. relying on these big creatures. Yeah, and it's interesting the fighting is in red as well. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was weird. <laughs> but hey, it works. Yeah, it works. And this set, I think it's very, 
thematic. And I think that's where everything comes from is that the set, the set is, is Flavortown, right? Like we talked about oh, with yeah. Eldraine. Um, we talked about it, I think with World Spark and we definitely talked about it with Theros. This set yeah. has but the, the flavor in the last few sets has been incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think them just teaming up with the commander set and having basically two different sets on the same plane. Yeah. I think that let them dive really, really deep into the flavor. Yeah. And you see and a lot in the, the commander set. Let's talk yeah. about, uh, maybe some predictions. Um, do you guys think this is this set's really going to have an impact in other formats? We talked about Commander. We think that there's some limits limitations there. Um, standard, Modern. Do you think anything's going to happen there? Gary, and you've been looking a lot at Standard, right? Yeah, Gary. Yeah, I, I I really think we're going to see, like we said, cycling and humans, which seems like it's not going to be an impact because it's already there, but I think it's just going to make them a little stronger and maybe more viable, and maybe because they're novel in some way, people might play them more, but I think it's just, just going to shore up those strategies even more so. Yeah. Uh, kind of in that, uh, I don't think standard is going to see a huge mutate jump. Yeah, That reminded me, there's a, a card that I really want to talk about and I ended up cutting it on accident. I think uh, bastion of remembrance two and a black for enchantment oh, the aristocrats. Yeah. When bastion of remembrance enters the battle to create a one, one human soldier creature token, whenever a creature you control dies, each one loses one life and you gain one life. Literally blood artist on an enchantment. Blood artist. Yeah. Fuck yeah. This is literally everything I could ever want. An enchantment and blood artist. Like, fuck yeah. Yeah. I think there, there might be a lot of pickups and like people might try and mess around with a lot of builds, but I'm not sure how prevalent the mutate mechanic will, or people will lean into it. I yeah. think, if you do lean into it, you definitely have to change your build around. And yeah, is there uh, kind of a finishers? Any like and money cards? Do you think like chase rares or just like cards that are just going to have a huge impact? Um, I think for the some of the, at least one chase rare that comes to mind is the Dranith Magistrate, which shuts off a lot of escape. Yeah, and just cheating out effects. But another one I had on here, it's an uncommon, it's Barrier Breach. It's two and this three card. for an instant. Fuck this card. I hate this card. Yeah. Get rid of this card. <laughs> it says exile up to three target enchantments, and it has cycling two. So Exile at instant exile speed. Exile at instant speed for three way, mana. Way too many and targets. And it's up two. Yeah, up two, right? So like it's kind of modal <laughs> in that effect. And cycling, like why are they trying to make enchantments? Removal, so good. <laughs> because because the enchantments are good. Yeah, because they're yeah, that's true. yeah, yeah. Uh, what about yes? This is a god killer. What about like modern legacy vintage. So I'm Highlander? not sure. I know the first thing that came to my mind when I was trying to find good cards for modern is Lurus of the Dream Den. It's one of the companions. It's this one some broken shit right and here. two Orzov mana. Yeah, this one for Ooh. a three-two legendary creature cat nightmare with companion. The companion clause is. Each permanent card in your starting deck has converted mana cost two or less. And then it has lifelink. And then during each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. So immediately, I just thought of Kroxa. Because oh, yeah. he is one in a red. And being able to do that, you don't have, ever have to no, escape black him. and red. Oh yeah, that's what I meant. Black and red. Sorry. So you can have Luris of the Dream Den as your companion, but it's just like, if you can Kroxa every turn, because usually Kroxa is balanced because you play Kroxa and then it takes a while before you escape him. But being able to Kroxa every turn because he's a two mana card is stupid. True. <laughs> there are some some weird build rounds that you can try, like the Aristocrat Enchantment. And then another card that we'll get into on the next episode is Luminous Broodmoth or Broodmother. I think that's a, a really strong build around card. For sure. And I, th- I think there's a there's just a couple, but I think a lot of it is going to be just easy sideboard upgrades and stuff like that. Just better answers than what we have right now. Yeah. And because I could not let us end the episode not talking about them, uh, we got Trilands, boys. We got three color, basic land typed cards. We've got Indatha, Zagoth, Savai, Raugrin, and Ketria. Those are the Obzon, Sultai, Mardu, Jeskai, and Teemer Trilands. They have the land types, which means you can fetch for them, and they have cycling for three. <laughs> like, they couldn't just make them good. They had to make them better. So, I mean, yeah, man, I, the only problem I, is that they I'm, still come in tapped. Right. Come in tapped, that is, yeah. that is like the, the downside. But the fact that you can fetch 
the fact that you can have flexibility in your fetches. This is this is where I come in with the speculation time. All right, this is my speculation. And if you're right, uh, I'm rigid. Yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so Zendikar is famous for a very specific type of land. Um, and I think what were those again? we might get a new version of said lands. Maybe a fixed version. Quote unquote fixed because obviously these lands are always broken. Um, and I think that that might be in addition to them completing the triumph cycle. I think that they complete the triumph cycle. I think that that's like my guarantee. Like that's like the thing that I'm strongest about. But I think that we might get a fixed version of Fetchlands. What would a fixed version of Fetchlands? I don't know. I'm gonna let Watson decide that. It's either broken <laughs> or unplayable. That's all there is. <laughs> I mean, I was dreaming before the Secret Lair was announced that they would do like some promo or something to tie in with Zendikar and reprint the Fetchlands, but then they screwed it all up and did the Secret Lair and fucked it. All right. Well. <laughs> We're going to wrap things up there. And as we like to say on this podcast, have fun. And Drew, quit trying to make fetch happen. <laughs>